0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Project MedTech. I am the founder of Project MedTech, Dwayne Mancini. If you need anything from us or like to suggest a future guest, you can email us at info at projectmedtech.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. And you can always visit our website, www.projectmedtech.com, or follow us on LinkedIn. This is another episode of Project MedTech series, MedTech Money. This is a special series by project medtech where we have partnered with mr medtech himself giovanni Loricella, in a series of podcast episodes focusing on money in the medtech space giovanni's guest today is oliver keown from intuitive ventures in this episode giovanni and oliver discuss corporate venture how intuitive works with startups in the medtech space how they invest the due diligence process from a strategic versus venture capital group how they evaluate potential investments Future funds, and more. So, without further ado, Giovanni's discussion with Oliver Keon
1: Medical innovation starts with medical discussion, talking about the future, and what comes next with IJ MedTech. Oliver, thank you very much for joining us here. This is the MedTech Money podcast series powered by Project MedTech and sponsored by Lifeblood Capital. And very glad to have you on here today. We're going to learn about some sexy venture stuff going on, coming out of Intuitive Ventures, big splash that came about almost a year ago. And i uh, looking forward to having you share that story with us. The reason why we're here today is not to mention that you and I have had numerous conversations in the past, but I've talked to thousands of med tech entrepreneurs and investors around the world. And I've discovered that there's not, a silver bullet or even a specific formula on how to raise or even invest capital in MedTech. So the goal of this podcast is really to extract insights, anecdotal stories. And I wanted to do that from investment bankers, entrepreneurs, and investors like yourself so we can help those who can benefit from this information. And fortunately, the feedback's been great thus far. So looking forward to getting more. Um, What I imagine this audience being is people who have been there and done that before, so experts and probably a lot more novices, people who are looking for this information to help them out. And I wanted to extract your stories, your insights, and obviously your advice to share with what I would imagine that first-time founder or CEO who has no clue on what lies ahead of their journey of raising capital. So I thought the best place to start is from learning experience, from experienced professionals like yourself. The purpose of you and I being here today, uh, once again, besides my excitement of just learning more about Intuitive Ventures, is I wanted to encapsulate the idea of corporate venture and and what that really means. And we'll obviously overlay the story of what Intuitive Ventures is looking for, but I wanted to have the audience listening on, okay, there's there's traditional venture capitalist firms, there's angel groups, there's family offices, but how do corporate investors act and how do they act differently? So that's the the main purpose of our discussion today. But before we get into that, I have a few questions for you, and then we'll get into who you are. Mm-hmm. My first one is, do you believe that people and money are the lifeblood of a medtech startup? Why or why not? And am I missing anything else important that you think we should add? That's a great question.
2: Well, Giovanni, first of all, thanks so much for having us on today, excited about the, the conversation here. Um, I it's, a, it's a super important question. You know for, for me, it's you know what I get most excited about this field, the privilege of, of getting to work in the world of startups uh, of medtech, of venture capital, it's the mission. really, it's it's that driving force to improve outcomes to address clinical need and you know identifying that, uh, matching it with passionate and fearless teams and people. Uh, to move the field forward, like that's, that's really the lifeblood, I think, of the most impactful and exciting startups that, that I see. I think technology, venture capital, you know, everything else is an important means to an end, um, but it's really the end. It's really that, that needs, that passion, that, that driving mission to improve an outcome, to, to really change the fields. There, there's so much opportunity to do so in healthcare. Um, and I'm excited about the startups that can articulate that, that can demonstrate that passion, and that they're really working on those big problems. So I, I'd say that's the lifeblood, um, personally, and you know, everything else is obviously important, but um, secondary to that mission.
1: And having built your career to being the head of Intuitive Ventures now, and we'll get into all those juicy details of what led you to be sitting in that chair right now, um, but if you knew what you know now about being a med tech investor, would you do it all over again? Why or why not? Or what would you do differently throughout your career? Yeah, great question.
2: I, absolutely. I mean, I, I feel very privileged to get to work with uh, and support you know fearless founders every day in in the world of med tech, digital biotech that we invest across. I've um, I've always been a bit of a, a portfolio person, and getting to go from you know, the, the technical minutiae of technology, of business model, of finance, to the really big picture vision and mission that I alluded to before of trying to move the needle in some meaningful way. And to get to work with with folks that are incredibly qualified and, you know, driving forwards the, the the types of startups and technologies and companies that we see, you know, it, it is a total privilege. And um, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't change it for the world. So very much enjoying what I get to do, the relationships I get to build. Um, and the field that we get to to play in.
1: My last question, Intuitive Surgical. I'm sure people who are listening to this podcast right now, a lot of them, if not all of them, have heard of Intuitive Surgical, this groundbreaking company that revolutionized surgical robotics, or at least severely put it on the map. And I remember nearly a year ago, I was excited to see it. It was this article and press release that came out about how Intuitive Surgical has this now Intuitive Ventures is launching a hundred million dollar fund. And um, so I I was thinking to myself, what does it all mean? Uh, But before we get into that, the the name Intuitive Ventures, as as simplistic as it sounds, what does the name behind Intuitive Ventures means? And and, and is there anything that it could have been called? Did you have other names for it? Or was it just simply as, as easy as it is, Intuitive Ventures?
2: Yeah. So, no, it's, it's, we're very fortunate we get to borrow our corporate parents you know incredible name and what that stands for and what it means uh, and it and it fits so well for our venture funds uh, we we did consider different names you know sometimes in the world of corporate and i'm sure we'll get into it in our discussion um you know having really representing that degree of independence from the corporate parent with different branding different names can be helpful and um, you know as you get up and running but for us it was so integral to our DNA to our position in the market and and how we view the world, that uh, it was very natural step to call ourselves intuitive ventures for, for our, for our parents company intuitive, for, for those that don't know know, really uh, that name comes from the core mission of, of the company, which is equipping surgeons with tools and insights and capabilities through robotic surgery uh, to allow them to be their best minimally invasive surgeons and it's that incredible user interface. There really is a, an intuitive experience for those that have you know had the opportunity to interface or, or, or use um, a robot. I think the, the natural extension of that to our venture platform is that you know as we look to accelerate the future of minimum invasive care, kind of broaden the aperture to the entire patient journey, we're, we're looking for those intuitive you know opportunities, those, those companies that share uh, a mission for better outcomes. And that fit seamlessly into that, that career journey. So it was, you know, it was a really natural extension and, you know, obviously an incredible uh, brand and opportunity to, to position ourselves with.
1: And the, the man behind the voice, we've now been hearing it for quite some time on this particular podcast, but who is Oliver Kion? Where have you come from? How did you build your career? What did you do along the way? And then how did you become head of Intuitive Ventures? I mean, d- d- tell us that story of who you are.
2: Yeah. And I, you know, I've uh, a lot of different moves and pivots, you know, I think I haven't followed a traditional career path. Um, I'm, I'm I'm an ex plant from Scotland, rural Scotland, uh, in the United Kingdom. I've had uh, the opportunity to start my career in the world of clinical practice in the NHS as a junior doctor, some training in life sciences. Um, always passionate about startups and uh, the world of entrepreneurial, uh, pursuits from an early age but you know found in healthcare and in practicing medicine the exposure to technology to digital to different business models um while i was practicing you know kind of drew me out of the field of of, uh, of, of clinical practice into the world of innovation and specifically surgical innovation so i, I moved from the nhs into uh, imperial college where i got to work on projects that spanned policy and med device and digital and just really saw this opportunity to play at the intersections of of these different fields um, and overlaying capital and investment as this pretty powerful lever to be able to help enable and accelerate teams and technologies. And and that drew me into venture capital. And I I was fortunate to collaborate with um, the likes of Sue Siegel at GE Ventures, who's been an incredible mentor to me and took took a, a risk on me to invite me over to the US and really cut my teeth on the investing side um so made made that switch to venture capital uh, and haven't really looked back you know cut my teeth across devices digital life science tools and in the last couple of years you know really understanding what makes corporate venture powerful as a as a means of of delivering capital and capital with with additional uh, kind of um insights uh, got to know the folks at intuitive and the leadership and you know the exciting vision and uh, willingness to really build a best practice, you know, corporate venture capital model. Uh, it was just an opportunity to really place a bet on myself and, and, and go and and pursue and build, you know, something from scratch with, with, with my colleague, Julian Nikolchev and, uh, yeah, jumped at that. So yeah, long-winded answer to say it's always been at the intersections of these different fields and, you know, the chance to, to build something from scratch here at intuitive ventures and, And, you know, build a a brand and a set of value add pillars was uh, too good an opportunity to miss.
1: So a a two part question. First one is now tell us about Intuitive Ventures from that press release that was released nearly a year ago um, of announcing the fact that you guys are launching this fund to the accomplishments, the milestones, the traction that you guys have got. Over this past year, uh, what do you guys look for? What do you, are you guys building a pipeline for Intuitive Surgical? Are you traditional, or at least acting like a traditional venture farm or venture arm? T- talk about what is Intuitive Ventures for those who have no idea.
2: Yeah, well, it, it starts with our mission, which is as I shared before, it's accelerating the future of minimally invasive care. So it, it's looking beyond where Intuitive is today to the broader patient journey. Uh, from from diagnosis, to optimization, to therapy, to follow up and recognizing that there's a a world of digital technologies, medical device technologies, diagnostic technologies, and, and biotech technologies that are going to be and, and and solutions that are going to be, you know, hugely impactful across those journeys. And, uh, you know, really, for, for ventures, our mission is to bring them closer to invest support to Add the insights and, and kind of reach of intuitive to help accelerate those companies but to do so in a independent fashion in a, in a in a venture capital fashion where we're really aligned with the success of these independent players and so we're structured as a fund you know we're, we're really look and feel and are a traditional venture fund and that we have a 100 million dollars of capital to support early stage companies um, so we invest uh, at that kind of seed Series A, Series B, you know, where there's exciting teams, technologies, some traction, big needs, and we support those companies through their journey. And we're aligned around the financial success and we, you know, maintain a, a firewall between what we do on the venture side and then help facilitate those companies, partner and collaborate with Intuitive where it makes sense. Um, but really that's that's our mission to to drive forward with those ecosystems um, and to, to push the field forward using venture capital as a, as a lever to do so.
1: And for all those people listening now who might be listening to this podcast with half an ear while they're driving somewhere, I just want to make it very clear. So you're saying that Intuitive Ventures is not developing a product pipeline for Intuitive Surgical with their investments?
2: It's not our primary goal. Our, our, our goal is, is much broader. It's, it's to identify those transformative uh, teams and technologies to support those. Um, certainly it, it may be possible that intuitive partners maybe even acquires ultimately companies and technologies that we invest in, but it's just as likely that, that could happen with the deals that we don't necessarily ultimately deploy capital into. I think, you know, for us, it's really who are those best in class technologies and teams driving forwards that the outcomes that we care about. And I think if we're we're all aligned to that goal, then the world's our opportunity in terms of where where they may fit into a broader intuitive ecosystem longer term.
1: So, and I'm asking this question for me, hopefully everyone else will benefit from it too, but I'm just trying to wrap my head around it. So um, Intuitive Surgical has products to sell, generates revenue, publicly traded company, um, but Intuitive Ventures, if they're not directly building a pipeline for Intuitive Surgical, and it might happen like you mentioned, but that's not the goal of it. When we talk with other traditional venture arms, at the end of the day, and even traditional venture capital firms, at the end of the day, yes, there's a mission behind it. But if you talk to any other investor in a traditional venture capital firm, they need to make money. They need to return back to their LPs. So if it's not very saliently building a pipeline for intuitive surgical, is it another avenue of revenue generation? If you're going to invest in a company that hopefully will succeed somewhere else through an exit or go IPO, where then it's just another revenue generator for intuitive surgical. Is that how that corporate venture arm style works?
2: Yeah, no, it's a great, it's a great question. And I think the best practice corporate venture is looking for what I'd call a win-win it's, it's looking for first and foremost, and this is our mentality and financial discipline, financial returns, you know, success for me and my team is Uh, both investing in the areas that are important to intuitive backing those winners, you know, bringing those ecosystem players closer to intuitive and accelerating them. But it's making, you know, best in class financial returns on the investments we make. And that's why we're aligned around the financial success of the deals we pursue. That's why when we make an investment, you know, our startups can know that we are, you know, supporting that we're structuring it, we're, you know, hitting, you know, bang our fist on the table to see those startups achieve the most successful outcome they can. And ultimately, you know, that'll involve an exit of sorts, right? An IPO um, and M&A and realization of the value that they've generated. And we want to see that. So yeah, you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. We're we're looking for those financial returns and we structured ourselves in such a way. And, but we, you know we we fish in a pool of of deals which are you know i would say broadly strategically relevant to intuitive and to the broader field of minimally invasive care and and we thread that needle of of looking for win-wins which is strategic uh, relevance and you know great financial returns
1: so with a 100 million dollar fund um and we can talk about the companies that you've already invested in or the style of companies that you've already invested in. But for all those startups who are listening and thinking, should I send my executive summary to Oliver right now, if I fit in that portfolio or not, Um, what minimum size check do you typically give? Are you having reserves put aside for companies as they continue to grow? What stage of company do you like to get involved in? Give that litmus test of of what your best profile is for someone who's going to join the intuitive venture uh, portfolio company.
2: Yeah. So I think, I think the first test is, you know, do, do you see a, a path to accelerating that million invasive fields across digital diagnostics um, therapeutics and, and, and device platforms? Uh, we are with our first fund here, you know, focus on the earlier stage of investment. So I'd say our sweet spot is series a series B, but we'll invest seed and we'll certainly go later. Um, we're writing checks typically 500 K to $5 million. Uh, we certainly do reserve for follow-ons. Again, we're we're aligned around the financial success and it's it's incredibly important that we're long-term partners to the, the startups and uh, for our co-investors that come in alongside us. Um, and so across those different fields, obviously there's different flavors of what a seed and series A company would look like. But we're willing, you know, at, at base, our philosophy, we're, we're, we're willing to take risk. And I think, you know, that differentiates us a little bit as a corporate VC that we're willing to go early, we're willing to partner with companies and where there might be some technology risk, where there might be um, some market risk, uh, and, you know, where there's a very compelling need, where there's a very compelling team, and ideally, you know, some, some uh, de-risking around technology or market or traction. Um, but we're we're willing to support those companies where we see you know really pioneers driving forward new markets. Um, so hopefully that gives you a sense of 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 where we sit in this ecosystem. But I, I'd say you know have a low bar for reaching out. We we love to get to know entrepreneurs and teams early. We love to build those relationships to demonstrate the value adds that we bring to to the companies that we work with and even those that we don't ultimately invest in because at the end of the day our our job is to support the ecosystem. So. do do have a low threshold for reaching out.
1: And typically speaking, when you hear of some other medical device, med tech, corporate venture arms, there is that purposeful alignment on their philosophy of of what that company would be bringing into their portfolio company, like bringing or making a pipeline, for example, right? So if it's not the major intent of intuitive, um, when companies are reaching out to you, when you say seed, series A, series B, series C, when I've spoken with other corporate development or even corporate investors, they almost try to refrain from going too, too early. Because if they are going to invest in something that possibly could jump into their eventual product portfolio when they do an acquisition, maybe, um, they, they typically want to see some de-risking done before they jump in when Intuitive is not building a product pipeline necessarily or with a focal point, and you guys are even possibly getting into seed or series A, um, is there a reason behind that, that you're going that earlier as a, as a corporate venture arm? Is, is there something that's a differentiator between Intuitive Ventures versus that typical, and I'll throw out names, Boston Scientific, Edwards Life Sciences, Abbott, Ventures, for example, that typically would go a little later?
2: Yeah, well, I think at base, it, it comes down to... Intuitive's DNA, you know, we're, we're a very entrepreneurial company, we're still led by leadership that were the original entrepreneurs, you know, in the company 25 years ago, when intuitive was founded. And so there's, there's a strong um, alignment with, with early stage pioneers that are looking at disrupting markets, you're know, really delivering size outcomes to, to healthcare. So we're very comfortable, you know, understanding going very deep on technology on team on regulatory reimbursement at that early stage. And, and, and as I said, if we see disruptive potential, if we see uh, new markets to be built, we're, we're excited about supporting those teams and technologies um, at that early phase. Uh, I think we can we can really deliver an, an incredible amount of value, both as a team, um, you know, that we're building here for the Intuitive Ventures platform, uh, to, to the entrepreneurs, to the boards, to the to the markets that uh, our, our portfolio companies are going after. But we've also really codified access to regulatory expertise, to reimbursement expertise, to our commercial levers you know, within Intuitive that can be incredibly impactful for early stage companies um, and really give them a bit of a differentiated edge. And so we're, we're excited about you know, bringing to bear those strengths to these early sta- earlier stage companies as we build out our portfolio, but we'll be flexible. We'll certainly invest across the spectrum um, but, but but we definitely have, uh, you know, a bias in, in our early portfolio here to, to some of those earlier stage opportunities.
1: You mentioned a, a word value, and there's this very common topic amongst these styles of conversation of good money versus bad money. And, and when entrepreneurs are looking for much more value from their investors, simply besides a check. Um, we've heard that, you know, sometimes family offices invest because of a purpose, but they can't really add more value beyond the check, right? They're they're interested in investing in cardiovascular, but it doesn't mean that they could add value in that cardiovascular investment. So when we talk about value beyond capital, when Intuitive Ventures allocates an investment to a startup company, I know that you just hinted at it, um, but if I'm a startup reaching out to Oliver and I'm looking to get Intuitive Ventures to invest in my startup, what access to, other resources and value adds beyond simply a check am I getting from Intuitive Ventures? Yeah, no, it's a great question. Uh,
2: I would say, you know, there's a lot of capital available in the market right now, right? And I think it's really incumbent on on entrepreneurs and startups to really understand that value proposition and, and to really, um, you know, kind of, aim for the the absolute best, you know, venture capital dollars plus value add infrastructure. And I think increasingly corporate ventures offer, you know, an incredibly powerful um, diversification of a syndicate that can add value in pretty unique and meaningful ways for for us at Intuitive Ventures. I, as I mentioned, I think the, the key pillars are team and platform, you know, you're going to get a group of investors, first and foremost, that want to see success, want to see, in, you know, a, a fantastic trajectory of growth and of impact of that startup company, and are going to do everything they can because they're aligned around that success. And second of all, we built within the platform access to some of Intuitive's, you know, core strengths. Um, our, our our portfolio companies can, you know, meet and understand and learn from our commercial engine. They can and have access to regulatory expertise that typically is revealed and, and kind of worked on through our diligence process. We go very deep in the diligence that we conduct. Um, and, you know, I, I always think the best diligence is a two-way street, right? It's, it's, it's not just unearthing problems or issues that, you know, provides a, a sense of risk. It's working through some of those, you know, as part of the diligence process. And we've had great experience uh, in, our, in our diligence processes and in ultimately in companies we've invested in through regulatory through you know really deep dives around reimbursement and future strategies and opportunities and and, and we hold ourselves accountable we, you know we set kpis uh, ourselves for for the deals that we invest in and where where we envisage we can add value and, and hold ourselves to to try and deliver that you know through the, the funding cycles of deals we do um, and i think that's 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 the important thing and i think you know entrepreneurs that have options should be really testing what the, the platform, the investor uh, that they're looking at can bring to the table. Um, we, we, we try and do that and, and, and demonstrate it uh, throughout the, the deal process where we can.
1: You brought up another important word, due diligence, and I wanna associate the due diligence to the timeline or the time frame. So if I put myself back into this entrepreneur or CEO who's raising money, um, oftentimes they would love to have that sexy marquee name of a corporate venture like intuitive surgical be the lead uh, and then be able to syndicate the rest of the round around that Uh, but also the earlier you go typically speaking um, generalization but typically speaking sometimes when they need money they need money now like I've I've had I've had angel groups where we've done this very similar podcast and I've asked them I said well I've run across entrepreneurs who are they have a, a closing date on the fund and if you have to go pitch to an angel group and they only host their presentation groups every other month and right. they need to close before that, are you willing to pass up on this potentially great investment opportunity because they miss the timeline? Oftentimes these angel groups are saying, unfortunately, yeah, that's how it works. But when these entrepreneurs are setting these timelines and they have to get the capital in or they just need it quickly um, and it doesn't have any bearing on the fact that are they a great investment or are they not that great of investment, but they, they do have some sort of timeline. When you look at corporate venture, or if I'm raising around and I would love intuitive to be my lead, what type of timelines am I looking at? When you start, when you and I exchange our first emails and I send you my executive summary for the first time, realistically, and I'm eventually going to be that startup that you're going to invest in, from that first email to the time the money hits the bank. What does that process really look like from Intuitives, from a corporate development? And maybe even if you can highlight some of the differences that you know of other styles of investors, does it take a long time? Does it take a little less than normal? Talk about that.
2: Yeah, no, I think, um, so first and foremost, again, kind of coming down to the fact that uh, startups have options, right? Tip, you know, There's a lot of capital available. Uh, corporate venture any venture capital firm has to be competitive, right? We have to um, you know walk the walk in terms of how we operate how we make decisions and uh, there's just as much pressure on us to, to move fast and you know I'd say there's definitely a traditional view that, that kind of permeates that CDCs take longer they um, you know act a bit slower it's it's you know there's you know opaque decision-making processes behind the scenes in terms of corporate objectives and others. But I, I would say that there is really a new wave of of corporate venture firms, and, and this is you know not not brand new. it's you know ten, twenty years of 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 improvement in the system that corporate ventures can move incredibly fast. They're structured like traditional firms, they have very streamlined governance and decision making processes. Intuitive ventures is is very much like that. and the the short answer to the question is we'll 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 go as fast as we need to to get the deal done. And we're very sensitive to, uh, to, to to startups, their needs, the pressures, um, but also we're sensitive to the fact that if we don't move fast, we may miss out on an opportunity. So, you know, we we like to be thesis driven and to understand an area before we invest. We like to be able to go deep in diligence and we won't sacrifice that. So, so there has been times where, you know, a startup's trajectory and needs just doesn't fit with how Comfortable we are knowing a space, knowing a particular company, and, and we'll bow out, and I'll I'll try and do that as as efficiently as possible, so that the startups don't waste their energy working with us when they might have other you know better prospect leads for for their rounds. But where we see you know where we have a good understanding and we have the opportunity to go deep, and a startup's willing to let us you know go deep and you know run our our, our diligence process, we can make decisions very quick in in a matter of weeks. Um, and you know, deploy the capital super efficiently, and, and that's because we're we're really set up like a traditional venture funds, as are many corporate venture funds, you know, out there today. But it's important to align on on that as an entrepreneur early. Um, you know, kind of clarify process, clarify decision making milestones, and uh, you know, work towards that from the get go.
1: So we talk about time. I want to get to geography. So. Angel groups typically stay close to home, typically. Venture, traditional venture groups, depending on how large the fund, they could stay within their borders or maybe even a region. And sometimes they go international. Um, Corporate venture arms that are already a multinational company, say they look globally. What does Intuitive Ventures do? Are, Are you guys US focused? Are you California focused? Are you globally focused? Where do you guys look? Yeah, so
2: we're, we're we're globally focused. So of, of the four deals we've done to date, um we are, you know, we've been largely concentrated in the US. The team is largely, you know, based here in California, but we're a very international team and intuitive. You know, we're we're active in sixty-seven countries, eight million procedures to date. You know, so we're we're incredibly international in our scope and in terms of the the networks that we have. And so, you know, we're actively looking at deals across um, you know, Israel, Europe, and um, Asia. And, you know, as we build our, our platform here and we build the team, we'll be increasingly looking at, at those opportunities. So um, yeah, short answer global in mindset and uh, certainly building the deal flow to, to match
1: that. What about the, the horizons? So when we look at a typical traditional venture capital firm with that 10 year horizon where they have to return, back to their LPs within 10 years, typically. Is that the same for corporate venture? Is, there, is it like an evergreen fund? Do you have to report back to somebody at some point in time? What's that timing internally like on the intuitive venture side?
2: Yeah, and again, there's a lot of different flavors of corporate venture, but I think increasingly, you know, in venture capital alignment across the different stakeholders is, is like a driving force of success, right? You want alignment between your CEOs, the metrics they're driving towards uh, the, the 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 co-investor base and um, and so and 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 the motivations for those investors and and what they're looking to achieve in terms of their fund cycles and things and I think uh, you know good corporate venture is no different and, and we purposely structure ourselves as a traditional fund so we, we're we're hundred million dollars we have a ten year charter and horizon um we are you know going to use that hundred million to build a portfolio we're managing a strategy there our follow-ons our uh, kind of thesis across a, a range of companies and uh, opportunities that we invest in. So our our horizon is is very much aligned to again the the CEOs, the 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 co-investors, the syndicates that we're working with, and, and we want to see that growth um, at a pace. And we're you know as as we go deep in diligence, companies uh, in our our primary uh, diligence. You know, we'll we'll be working with our you know with our portfolio companies to identify like what are those key milestones, what will be those value inflections, what do future fundraising milestones look like, and, and we'll be you know reserving our follow ons on that journey, and we'll be updating these things as companies uh, pursue their 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 own path right through uh, through the field of opportunity.
1: You've been at a couple different corporate venture arms, GE as you mentioned, and now Intuitive. When it comes to terms, is there a a flavor where, for example, a traditional venture capital firm who has LPs that they have to answer to, and yes, they want to do good, but it is a money-making business at the end of the day. Um, So the more aggressive terms they can get in their favor without obviously disrupting the company's growth, the better. Um, When you look at corporate venture Objectively, not necessarily for intuitive, but just objectively, and also within your experience, would you say that corporate venture, when it comes to the aggression on term sheets, are they more aggressive than family offices and traditional venture capital firms? Are they less aggressive because it's a possibility for them to acquire them and they want to get them up and running as best as possible? Talk about that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it all, all all boils down to what are the motivations of that underlying CVC, right? If if it's a CVC that's looking to build a pipeline of acquisition targets, which some corporates in all manner of fields and industries are set up to do, then they can often be aggressive in their own way. It might not be around you know dividends and you know liquidation preferences. It might be around. Uh, rights of first refusal and ROFIN's you know rights to negotiate and and things like that, which are much more tied to their motivations to be able to make sure these, you know, their their portfolio companies don't get bought before they have a chance to you know make a a decision on. Um, so so it, it really depends on on what the underlying motivators of that C V C is, how they're structured, how the teams there are incentivized for success. Um, that might drive the behaviors. Um, but I think, you know, if you, if you have a, a CVC like ours, which is really focused on financial returns, when we deploy capital into a company, we've determined that company, that space is strategically relevant. And then we're optimizing, uh, like every other VC for financial returns, we're going to go with what's market and we're going to support, you know, a syndicate and deal and, um, you know, support the, the terms that are there or, um, you know, what's, what's acceptable to all parties. Um, you know, in the in the in the specific negotiation, but I think it's important for entrepreneurs as they explore with CVCs, kind of get that clarity upfront. What what is it that they're looking to achieve, and do they typically tie any terms to those objectives that aren't you know your bread and butter market venture capital terms? Better to find that out early than um, you know to find out kind of in later stages of of negotiations on a particular deal.
1: So then that leads me to this question, which. Imagine you're already in due diligence with a company. So I'm not talking about a company that reaches out to you and you decide very quickly that it's not something that you're going to pursue. When you start pursuing due diligence and a two-part question, you're in due diligence and it falls apart. And also you're even at term sheets and it might fall apart in your experience, whether it's with intuitive or even GE, but your venture experience as a whole, why do deals fall apart? I
2: think they fall apart typically when there's a, a lack of transparency on on either side. Right. You know, the, the set of facts should be the set of facts and diligence is about unearthing those facts. But, you know, I think both a entrepreneur and a venture capitalist should be pretty transparent in, in what they're looking to uncover, to know what they deem to be the key risks. It's not a fish, you know. I think diligence shouldn't be a fishing expedition. It should be pretty targeted path, you know, an informed view of, hey, what are the key risks that I've determined in advance that might impact my decision around, you know, making this particular investment that might be the technology, the market size, the team. And, you know, I think an entrepreneur, um, you know, if, if there isn't that 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 transparency up front about what those risks are, or if there's hidden risks that maybe have been, you know, kept behind the scenes or not um, kind of made transparent front. you you open yourselves up for for tension at these phases, which could lead to a a, a deal falling apart. Um, but I think I think that's really the main thing I've seen where where on either part there isn't you know lack of transparency and motivation and um, kind of the sets of facts that either the investor is looking for or the um, the, uh, the
1: you know the, the, the company
2: themselves are are willing to share.
1: Specific to you and your time at Intuitive Intuitive Ventures now, um, what are the most important variables that you're looking for in a company? And also during the due diligence process, do you believe that corporate venture arms look at startups when they're doing due diligence any differently than a traditional venture capital fund would? Is there anything specific that a corporate venture arm would need or want to look deeper into? Than maybe a privatized traditional VC wouldn't so mm-hmm. I know it's a two-parter the difference in that aspect and then also what are those most important variables that you're looking for um, in a startup
2: yeah so I think you know we're, we're, we're we lean towards earlier stage opportunities right so team is incredibly important and it, it's not just the qualifications of a team or you know where you know their technical backgrounds it's it's the drive, the passion, you know, the story behind, um, you know, where where they've been and why they're really tackling this problem, and how the team gels, and that that clarity of vision. So I think that that's a that's a huge piece of it, and getting to know that team and understand their motivations and, and where they want to go and achieve. And um, obviously, the technology, you know, we're we're looking for really differentiated kind of pioneering technologies and opportunities. So the science, the the justification for that approach. And the proprietary nature of what they do, all all those things, you know, are are hugely influential. And then the market size, I mean, these are all pretty obvious uh, categories. But the you know, a big big market size and opportunity, and a path to to capturing value within that market, I think they're they're free of the the big the big lenses that we look for. Um you know, probably overridden by there being a very clear outcome that they can improve and and kind of move the field forward with. Um, the second part of your question was, remind the, me.
1: The traditional VC versus the corporate. And is there any difference in due diligence? Are you guys looking yeah. for a little bit more deeply than the traditional VCs or vice versa?
2: Yeah, I think, I think um, look, good good due diligence should be, a, you know, there shouldn't really be a, a difference, right? It's going to be deep financial exercise, deep technical you know, deep team and, and market, you know, there, there's pretty standard pillars, I think different venture funds, different groups have very different um, styles, approaches, kind of comfort levels at doing different depths of of diligence. Uh, and, and you get that within the traditional venture world, and you get that within the corporate world. I think for, you know, in, in corporate for technology companies, and their corporate arms, certainly, there may be a an increased scrutiny and increased bar to understand the technological differentiation, the the, the kind of position they um, they fulfill, or, or or maybe you know certainly it manifests for us the ways we see value where we see differentiation of ourselves. It's around technology, it's around reimbursement, it's around regulatory, obviously the clinical need. So we go deep in those areas, and um, and I think we've surprised some companies that we we've, we've been much more scrutinous uh, in our diligence. Um, than even traditional venture funds in some of these areas, and, and we've had good feedback that it's been helpful, you know, to some of our startup companies that uh, that we have pursued, you know, to pretty pretty granular levels the the technology, the reimbursement, regulatory. So I think you know some CVCs where they they have differentiated knowledge, they have a differentiated kind of insight, um, maybe access to customers in a way where they can test some of these perspectives that the company is is uh, purporting uh, that, that might, might be ways that it, it kind of manifests in terms of a difference of diligence. Um, the other variable here, again, which doesn't really impact us at Intuitive Ventures is what is that corporate, um, kind of, uh, motivation and, and what is that decision-making process for, for some corporates, it might require, you know, a business unit sign off or, um, some type of, uh, decision-making or partnership to be lined up in which case the diligence process may involve much more deep kind of discussions and demos and things with um strategic teams within a company uh you know we we, we can make decisions independent of, of that type of activity at intuitive ventures but i know for some that, that can be more of a, um, a kind of gating factor on, on on how they make decisions around their their venture investments
1: and especially for CVCs who are looking to actually potentially acquire the startup that they're doing due diligence on is it true that CVCs versus maybe traditional VCs, um, pay really close attention to the documentation and the quality system. And they might be a little bit more focused on that granular level of documentation, data quality system, as opposed to the bigger picture. Um, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I, I,
2: I haven't experienced the kind of, um, or heard from startups and others that, that there is a you know particular focus on that as an area i think maybe to my to the, the question before uh, around technology be it quality system be it regulatory be it reimbursement a, a corporate is going to have insights around what is important in that field what is important to demonstrate value at a certain exit inflection or otherwise so um, you know they may come with a perspective that those things you described quality systems others, are meaningful to a startup and they need to be you know quality and they need to be set up and you know i think if if we deemed in our assessment of risk for a particular company that those things are important for an intuitive acquisition or any acquisition right in the market we would diligence it um, and i'm sure some corporates would would you know it sounds like they may do or you've, you've heard that that's a, a priority so um yeah, I, 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 to, be, to be honest, I, I don't know otherwise if it's a specific thing that uh, corporates that are looking to acquire companies would do at the venture stage, but I think it all it all feeds into what they're prioritizing as, as key risks for uh, their process.
1: Going back to your pressure and focus on teams, um, team is important. People run companies, early stage companies, late stage companies, so teams are always important. However, the earlier stage you get in a startup company, It's really more of a bet on the people because likely the vision, the story, the technology will evolve and change by the time it either hits patients or the company gets acquired or goes public. When you get later stages and there's all that traction and milestones that have been done and hit um, and you have, whether it's revenue generating companies, you have an objective business that could be injected with cash or an investment where I don't want to say the team is important. It's simply less dependent because there's the, the management could be changed out, for example, right? But early stages, when someone's asking you for seed capital or series A, it's that team that's right in front of you saying, this is what we envision. This is what we're building. This is what we want. So it's much more team focus early stages. When intuitive ventures is assessing, as you mentioned, a very important variable of the team, is it Of a CEO or an entrepreneur who's coming to you looking for an investment who has already had an exit before? Is it someone who's raised capital before? Is it someone who's taken a company through a clinical trial successfully before? Is it a CEO twice, three times over? Or are you also taking moonshots on the engineer who started a company for the first time and they don't have an MBA and they are being a first-time entrepreneur who's starting a company and doesn't really have the business acumen? but yet they do have the vision and they have this product that's investable. What does that team or what does that DNA or spirit or that team profile look like when you guys assess them?
2: Yeah, well, first and foremost, we don't have a hard and fast rule. You know, we don't have a, a kind of pro forma you know this is what a, a a good management team looks like i think that's far too narrow a view for for any venture fund in this day and age to to kind of take certainly there's de-risking you know factors rights uh you know track records of achieving something similar creating value raising capital um you know kind of achieving certain milestones that that all goes a long way to to make you know as a venture investor you feel more comfortable but i, I think it comes down to the passion to the leadership capabilities as you say business acumen um, how organized, how how broad is their thinking across the domains as a CEO, um, you know, that they need to be. And if they have a team and they're at that stage, then how effective are they at leading and uh, you know, leading those those disciplines, those areas? How good are they at, at attracting talent um into a company, kind of aligning that team around the mission, around the important objectives and milestones? And so, you know, we we may take a different lens or a different kind of process in terms of diligence with uh, you know a kind of uh, like a storied you know multiple time um ceo or finder and um, versus a uh, uh, a newer person to the mix. but in our portfolio we backed you know first time finders and uh, you know seasoned executives um and, and and you know are equally excited about what those those teams and flavors are going to achieve. so I think um you know really it comes down to to getting to know them getting to build relationships and understand and see how they operate with a team as well. I think that's incredibly important.
1: You guys started with a hundred million dollar fund nearly a year ago. If if it's coming from intuitive surgical, just so we understand to wrap our heads around, how did you come up with a hundred million? Why not 50? Why not 250? And is it one of these classic situations where once you deploy the hundred million, is there plans to have another fund after that? And is it going to be, Two hundred and fifty, or another hundred million. Um, since there's not a plethora of LPs to answer to, except Intuitive Surgical. What, what, what was the logic behind that hundred million? And then, what do potential future funds maybe look like?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, it certainly makes life easier on the fundraising uh, perspective. And, and, and the long-term vision, you know, we can provide our success here is to layer those funds again, like a traditional venture uh, capital firm would. Right? We have Fund One, we have Fund Two. They overlap you know, we'll be deploying our initial checks out of fund one, and then starting to raise fund two, and we'll still be supporting that original portfolio from fund one for the next, you know, eight plus years, but we'll be investing new capital into a new portfolio out of that second fund. Whether that's a larger fund has broader geographic reach, you know, those decisions will be made, you know, in the year or so to come as we think about that, that future growth. But our, our your, your first question, why a hundred million? it wasn't completely arbitrary you know it's 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 a neat number it, it's a, a pretty traditional number to, to start an early stage fund it's uh, but we started pretty kind of bottoms up we we looked at you know what is the segment where we think we can have differentiated value uh, what what does you know within the market today across the geographies we're looking at uh, a kind of seed series a series b type investment profile where you know what size of check would we need to write to be a meaningful participant to give us A degree of flexibility to co-lead, lead, lead, participate, you know, follow on. Um, And could we build a de-risked portfolio strategy uh, with a a set amount of money where we can invest in a suitably sized portfolio to kind of spread risk, again, as as kind of capital um, managers. Um, And, you know, kind of, you, you go through those various skews and slices and then you kind of build up, hey, you know if i'm writing x number of checks to fulfill a portfolio of this size um you know i need to have this much follow-ons i then need to you know to get a portfolio of 10 to 15 companies hey it's around 100 million dollars and so um you know there's there's the they're top down let's just choose a number and, and make it work and there's the bottoms up and um you know we, we certainly took a bottoms up approach and, and landed at around 100 million and felt like that was a a suitable uh, way to go out to markets build this muscle within the organization and prove ourselves as stewards of capital and and build a really exciting portfolio.
1: As startups listening in on this right now, when startups do reach out to you, what turns you on, turns you off in terms of looking at their background? Like when you get an email from somebody with with whatever's in there, what entices you to respond back saying, hey, would like to look to learn more, or thanks, but no thanks. What turns you on, turns you off on how someone connects with you with regards to pursuing a dialogue of investment?
0: Yeah,
2: I, th- I think like at base, it's super kind of basic, but it's, you know, a personalized outreach, right? You know, really trying to understand the levers, the interests. you know, if you're reaching out, you're trying to capture someone's attention as we all are in our, our various capacities. So you know, try and align from what you know about where we look, where what we're after, and um, you know what you're doing, and kind of fit it in that context. And um, you know, share enough details around the market opportunity, your approach, the differentiation, and um, and you know, invite that follow up. Um, I think uh, you know, there's there's nothing you know specific that that turns off. I think. Um, um, but I, I think there's, you know, there's opportunities to reach out and, and be, be um, you know, if, if you really do want that call or meeting, you know, and you're, and you're not getting the response, I, I, I think I'm pretty good at responding on the various channels that we have. But for entrepreneurs, generally reaching out to VC and, um, you know, follow up and, and be, be bullish about, uh, you know, making sure that you're, you're getting that exposure because some things get lost from time to time. And, uh, you know, I think it's incumbent that the folks really kind of own, own, own that outcome and uh, make sure that they're, they're getting in front and uh, following up where it makes sense.
1: Let's crack this code and demystify this real quick, because I get asked this all the time. From your perspective, we'll, we'll stay right there from your perspective, obviously. Do you like initial outreach with the very aesthetically pleasing yet succinct and powerful executive summary, that one pager? Or do you want first point of contact with that? 20-slide slide
2: deck? I I like the slide deck. I mean, it's different for different folks, and it doesn't need to be 20 slides, it could be five slides, but I, I am, and, and so maybe, maybe to take a step back. It, it's what is the information needed to convey the size and breadth of the opportunity? I think it's, you know, if I see a page of written words, I, you know, it's just from a format perspective, it's not the most compelling or exciting thing to engage on, but if if there's a succinct way of really communicating big needs, exciting solution set, and team tackling it, and you know this is the opportunity, be that a a one page PDF or a ten page slide deck, you know I'm open to it and I, I can follow up. But I, I you know it doesn't you know reading one page or skimming through 20 slides doesn't make it a huge difference. You know we see a lot of these. We're pretty good at kind of getting the gist of things quickly. Um, so I think it really depends on what the story is, how complex it is you're trying to convey. Um, I don't know if that's helpful, but- no, that's it, is-
1: It's good. I mean, usually time is is everyone's worst enemy, right? Whether you're an entrepreneur or an investor. And sometimes I hear that if investors get these floods of 20 slide slide decks, there's not enough time in the day to review all of them with any real care. But if right. they're executive summaries, whether it's one or two pages, and they're incredibly well done, and they're very focused, and obviously bring out all the salient points that are necessary to at least spark uh, a reason to have a second dialogue, right? To to move on to the next. That's level. That's right.
2: That's absolutely right. Yeah, it's it, it's what information is required. The art is not on whether it's a, a two-page executive summary or twenty-page. It's it's what is the minimum impactful amount of information and storytelling to get that person's attention. And whether that's spread over five slides or it's spread over two pages or one page, I think just be really thoughtful around how to convey that, that story and and how to grab attention on the key metrics, the key kind of um, value drivers of what you're doing.
1: I wanna be sensitive to time, but I did wanna ask this one question, so I'll leave it up to you on how you wanna answer it. But you've, you've been in venture before, intuitive, but you joined GE Ventures. And you had this opportunity to actually start the CVC with intuitive. What is that like to, to have that venture experience? But then someone gives you the baton to say, Go make this your baby. I mean, how do you do that? Um, I it's a good question. I, you know, for
2: for me, it was the opportunity to 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 put in practice a lot of insights and learnings that I'd had from the GE Ventures experience where I'd seen us, you know, incredibly differentiate and where I'd seen some of the structural challenges that um, you know, that face G ventures and face a lot of corporates. And to see a blank slate where we could really put um, put those pillars in from day one. Um, it was just exciting. And, you know, it was a chance with with the right leadership and support of my colleagues Julian and Gary and Dave and the rest of the leadership team at Intuitive, Supporting us in, in creating that, it was just a no-brainer to go and and, and start building those foundations. And so, you know, it wasn't a, a, an easy thing to do, but we had the right um, entrepreneurial mindset within the company. We knew what was important, what what uh, kind of elements we need to really emphasize and build. And so, it was uh, yeah, it was a it was a no-brainer to, to go and do. And um, it's been an incredibly exciting journey, um, and we're just getting started. You know, this is this is our first few investments, and hopefully. Uh, lots more to come.
1: I love that you finished off on that point. So what I'd love to say is I'm glad that we now know about Intuitive Ventures coming up on its one year of of coming out and love to keep track and follow along, have you on again and hear where we are in one, two years from now and see what Intuitive Ventures has accomplished. So Congratulations on starting it. Congratulations on the first year. Look forward to the success and this is Oliver Kion, head of ventures at Intuitive Ventures. Thank you so much for your time and joining us here today. This is MedTech Money, demystifying raising and investing capital. Thank you so much. Thanks, Giovanni. Pleasure.
0: Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. If you need anything from the podcast, you can always contact us at infoprojectmedtech.com. Thanks for listening and have a great day.